hope everyone's doing well. I've lost track as to how many weeks this whole thing has been going on for. All I know is I'm bored and I need to uh, do something different because every day is starting to feel exactly the same. It's like this endless Groundhog's Day uh, sort of uh, thing that's been going on and I'm sure everyone is feeling exactly the same way I am. I've moved to New Jersey, uh, settling in, unpacking, get myself organized. Um, you know, New York has been uh, my home for a while, and um, you know, it's kind of bittersweet to be leaving. Still have a lot of good friends there, uh, but I am only about forty minutes away, so it's uh, it's also nice out here. And I also have a lot of great friends here in New Jersey, the Garden State. Before we get going, uh, I want to shout out um, Portland Distro, and uh, it's a t-shirt company if you're into hardcore punk and uh, like horror t-shirts, check out Portland Distro online, and the URL is exactly what you would think it would be, portlanddistro.com. Check it out. So what have I been doing in my time besides working? got this piece on integrity that I'm wrapping up that's going to appear in a forthcoming magazine to be published by Holy Mountain. And uh, Holy Mountain is another t-shirt and merch company. They do all the Tombs merch. They do integrity. They do Leviathan, uh, Ringworm, a lot of really cool bands. And uh, holymountainprinting.com if you want to go check that stuff out. Uh, I'm going to be doing a movie podcast with Jeff Caxide uh, this weekend, so that's uh, I'll tell you guys about the movies that we've both collectively been watching. I saw some really good ones recently. I caught uh, The Lodge, which uh, features uh, Riley Kehoe, one of my favorite actresses. Yeah, it was a really good movie, very dark, very moody, and uh, Jeff and I will be discussing that over the weekend, and that episode will be coming at you guys next week. I'd also like to thank my buddy Mateo for sending the Cavera LP and T-shirt. And uh, that's a band I talked about a couple episodes ago. And uh, some of you out there were interested and um, they're great. You know, check them out on Bandcamp. That's Cavera with a K, not a C, in case you're uh, interested in that. LP sounds great. Sanford Parker is the uh, producer on that. And uh, I've worked with Sanford on All Empires Fall several years ago, uh, the Tombs EP that we did. And um, Sanford is a top recording engineer, producer, and a really cool guy. So I cannot say enough good things about Cavera. It's, uh, if you like that sort of minor, doomy metal with like a brooding kind of vibe, uh, definitely check them out. It's like, you know, a little bit of, a, I would say, a buzz oven vibe mixed with today is the day. And, um, yeah, that pretty much is a fair assessment, I think, of, like, what they sound like. And, um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to uh, checking them out live someday because I know that eventually we're all going to be getting back to rocking. I finished reading uh, The Reddening by Adam Neville. Great book. Very good uh, ending to it. And um, I ordered a collection of his short stories, which just arrived yesterday. But uh, 
in the in the meanwhile, before I start that, I read "I Am Legend" by Richard Matheson, and that's that's a book that I figured that I should have read that years ago when I was a kid, but uh, I don't know it eluded me. So during this uh, lockdown, I took the opportunity to order a copy of that book and uh, and read it. Turns out the story itself is only about 170 pages long so it's a novella to be exact technically it's a novella and uh the book was 300 pages long so i'm reading the book we're coming to the end and i'm like what what the hell is going to happen next and the book ends at page 170 where the story ends at 170 and um the next chapter is a short story so it's you got you get a really good deal with this book apparently you get the novella plus a bunch of short stories uh, they didn't say anything about that um, when I bought it so interesting you know another fun fact about this is there's a short story called The Prey <laughs> and as I was reading it I'm like wow this plot seems familiar and uh, I don't know if any for any of you guys out there who uh, are are not familiar with Richard Matheson, he is a um, you know writer obviously writes uh, fiction, but he's also pretty very prolific in screenplays and he's done a bunch of movies and TV and stuff like that. And uh, turns out that there was a, a 1975 ABC movie of the week starring Karen Black that's called Trilogy of Terror. And I remember seeing this years ago when I was a kid, and it like disturbed me. It was uh, back then, like they TV, you know, was was like regular television would oftentimes have these things. I think People Under the Stairs was another TV movie that scared me too. Uh, so anyway, it's Trilogy of Terror is just that. It's uh, three stories. Uh, Karen Black stars in all three of them, and the last installment of. Um, of that trilogy is a story called Amelia and the prey is the short story that that chapter of the trilogy was uh, based on. And apparently uh, Matheson wrote all three of the stories and uh, features the Zuni fetish doll, which comes to life and terrorizes Karen black. And um, yeah, I don't know. It was pretty trippy. It was cool in the prey. The, the short story, uh, the, the doll is called He Who Kills. That's pretty sick, I think. He Who Kills. That might be the name of my next band, actually. So uh, I'll keep an eye out for that, too. Uh, listening to a lot of music lately. Um, Jackie Smith's uh, from the podcast Into the Necrosphere. Uh, I was actually on that show twice. Uh, I found out about this band called Elysian Blaze uh, on his Instagram account. So shout out to Jackie for turning me on to that. It was uh, inadvertently turning me on to that just through his Instagram, uh, just through his Instagram feed. But uh, yeah, Elysian Blaze, Blood Geometry, is their most recent record. But that that came out like eight years ago, and um, it's a one man. Uh, I would say atmospheric black metal, doomy atmospheric black metal uh, project from Australia. 
and uh i've been listening to it nonstop for like the last three or four days and uh it's really good so if you're a fan of that kind of thing it's uh it's very unique there's a lot of different things going on in in elysian blaze and i've checked out all their other records too but this blood geometry record is a masterpiece in my opinion and uh it took me eight years to catch up to it um so yeah i i if it wasn't for Jackie Smith's, I would never even have known about this band probably because within eight years, you'd figure that I would have, uh, it would have come, come across my radar, but it didn't. And like I mentioned earlier, um, trying to wrap up this piece on integrity. And, uh, as a result, I've been listening to a ton of their records. And then there's some peripheral bands out there that, you know, I, I always associate with them and uh, Gehenna being one of them. So I've been listening to a lot of Gehenna lately. And, uh, you know, in, in doing some research, I came across an article that uh, Neil Jameson wrote from Krieg. And um, he kind of breaks down a bunch of uh, these like kind of dark, hardcore bands. And he wrote about this band called The Banner. And... Um, I was familiar with the name, but I just figured they were like, uh, you know, some like little kid band uh, that probably were really into Converge or something like that and something that I really wouldn't be into. So uh, I never really checked them out. And then uh, Neil wrote about it and it just the way he described it, it made it sound like something that I'd be really into. There's like, a, you know, almost like a killing joke vibe to it. And um, that immediately caught my uh, my attention because I'm a huge Killing Joke fan, and I'm really into you know that whole post punk like you know dark goth rock, death rock kind of stuff, industrial music. So he was saying all the right things in the article. So I checked out this record called Graying, and uh, it was pretty much everything that Neil had discussed in his article. It was um, this brooding dark, evil-sounding, hardcore music. And, uh, yeah, so I've been listening to that record quite a bit. And uh, so Integrity, Gehenna, Elysian Blaze, these are all, uh, you know, The Banner. These are all things that have been on my radar. And uh, on, like, a a different sort of trip, um, there's a band called The Black Heart Procession, which... Probably not the best music to listen to uh, while you're sitting alone, quarantined. Uh, but they've always been one of my favorite bands. And um, I've been listening to uh, a lot of them, and particularly the record three. And an uh, interesting story about um, me and my involvement with uh, the Black Heart Procession. Back in the late 90s, uh, when I was living in Boston, there was a brief period of time where uh, I was trying to be a sound man. And um, I was working a gig at the Middle East upstairs. And uh, the Black Heart Procession had play, were playing there the night that I worked. And I'd, I'd never heard of them before. I mean, this is like, you know, probably, uh, well, it's got to be like 90, 98, 1998, 1997, something like that. And um, they were very much still like on the periphery of things back then. So I showed up to the gig. Uh, there was a bunch of local bands that had played 
and it was uh, I think it was a weeknight too so it was like a real quiet night it was like a Monday or Tuesday and um bunch of local bands none of them none of them sounded anything alike so you know I'm doing my thing you know mixing uh, trying to do the best I can and then uh this the last band takes the stage and that's the Black Heart Procession and it's like just two guys and uh i was like oh this should be easy it's just like a uh you know guy with an acoustic guitar and a dude with this with this uh, saw you know that he's playing this musical saw thing and um i was totally blown away by it it was dark acoustic with like this weird saw instrument being played and uh yeah i, I was pretty much blown away by what i'd heard and um afterwards i asked them you know i thought they were from boston i thought they were just like some band from either well actually i didn't think they were from boston i thought they might have been from providence from rhode island because they had this kind of artsy look about them and and that was uh that vibe is more of like a providence rhode island kind of art school thing uh and that's that's what i thought you know they might have been from rhode island or something but the guy was like, oh, we're from San Diego, and we only, we only have this, like, 7-inch for sale. And uh, unfortunately, I did not buy that 7-inch, which is kind of a funny thing. If the, I probably should have, but I didn't, you know. Anyway, back then, you know, you, there was no very little uh, stuff to be done with uh, ATM cards at, uh, at gigs. You kind of had to have cash. So I might not have had cash on me. Who knows what the deal is, you know what I mean? So, uh, anyway, uh, that was my introduction to, uh, the black heart procession. And, um, years later they were just, uh, everywhere. Everyone was like into them. Everyone had known about them and, you know, they were, uh, you know, pretty, uh, pretty, pretty big band at that point. Also, uh, I've always been a huge fan of, um, of Neil Young. Yeah, I thought Neil Young was kind of the first uh, noise guitar player. You know, Hendrix and Neil Young, uh, though completely different stylistically, I think both of those artists uh, informed bands like Sonic Youth, I think. And, and I'm not even a Sonic Youth fan, really. I think that maybe they have like maybe two records that I like, and uh, the rest of it I think is kind of like rehashing the same tricks that they pull on every song and um yeah the coolest thing about the band is kim gordon and uh other than that they've never had a good drummer um i don't think that uh thurston moore or lee ronaldo can play guitar and uh i think that their whole thing is like this kind of gag it's like this trick that they do with these tunings and all this stuff so I mean, they've been a band for about 30 years playing their instruments. They should have figured out how to, how to play by now. So uh, anyway, my, my, I think they wouldn't exist without uh, Neil Young and Jimi Hendrix. And I've always uh, admired the way that Neil Young has been able to do pretty much all styles of music. I mean, he's got the quiet acoustic stuff. He's got the heavy rock, uh, bluesy stuff. Um, you know, the kind of desert sounding, uh, dead man soundtrack, you know, reverb guitar kind of thing, which I've 
I love that record in particular. The Dead Man score is amazing. And um, but recently I've been listening to uh, Harvest Moon, which is just a collection of sad songs and played on acoustic guitar primarily. And the other uh, the other great record is Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere, and that's goes down as one of the all time greatest record titles in history, in my opinion. You know, I remember when I was like a young kid, uh, just getting into rock music, um, discovering Neil Young. And, and, you know, I was listening to Zeppelin, Rush, you know, uh, ACDC, like stuff like that. And um, initially, Neil Young wasn't something that I really dug as a young kid. I wanted to listen to like, you know, Sabbath and Zeppelin and that. And, and everyone, the older kids were like, oh, you got to check out Neil Young. I'm like, ah, oh, this guy's got a weird voice. Uh, you know, his guitar playing's kind of, you know, different. And I wasn't sure how much I dug it or not. But then it was it was when I heard Cinnamon Girl that it it really sunk in. Like, I always thought that was, like, such a great song. And um, so, you know, my allowance for mowing lawns, I went out and I, uh, I ended up buying Everybody Knows This Is Nowhere and um, it had, could, because it had Cinnamon Girl on that record and um yeah it was like what a great title i thought because i grew up in some small town you know outside of uh you know new york city um barely a suburb i mean i guess you could consider carmel a suburb because the metro north stops there but it's more on the becoming more of a rural kind of place it's like uh, i guess it's the gateway between Westchester County, which is a true suburban area, and uh, the more rural parts of uh, of that part of New York State. So it's this sort of gateway uh, between those two worlds. So to me, uh, with my whole life ahead of me, looking forward to a future that was yet unwritten, living in a town like Carmel felt like living in the middle of nowhere. So that title always resonated with me. But yeah, there's some other great songs. Uh, the, the other song on that record that I have always, always loved was Cowgirl in the Sand. So yeah, I've just been kind of ruminating on those tracks in the last couple of days. And um, yeah, so that's, that's been a lot of my, uh, my, my music appetites have been very eclectic, as you can see. Um, yeah, I don't know, man. Uh, I got some mixed feelings about uh, this weekend's MMA event. We got uh, the UFC is back in action. And, um, you know, I've always, late, especially lately, I've been very critical of Dana White. You know, I mean, he's like buddy-buddy with Donald Trump. Uh, I feel like, you know, I feel like there's a certain level of, uh, of racist uh, points of view in the UFC um, and sexist points of view as well. And um, I don't know, for, you, for those of you out there might want to check out at this point who aren't, if you're not into fighting or anything like that, you might want to like go to check out something else because I'm going to talk about MMA for a minute. Um, yeah, it's, uh, I'm not a fan of Dana White. As much as I love MMA and combat sports and boxing and wrestling and all this stuff, I love the UFC it's like the top elite of mixed martial arts. The best fighters in the world compete there. 
And I think it's a great organization as far as that goes. But I just think Dana White is like the epitome of sort of that money hungry, you know, upper level of the greed and infatuated American nightmare. You know, I feel like that's what Dana White is part of. And, um, so anyway, of course, in the midst of a global health crisis, um, he's the first one to come back with an event. And uh, tomorrow, Saturday, May 9th, we have UFC 249. And, um, you know, it's hard to social distance when you're, uh, you're fighting an MMA fight. You know, even like, you know, the corner men are right next to you. The referee is in the ring with you or the octagon in this case. And the two guys are, uh, that are fighting are engaged in a hand-to-hand combat struggle. And, um, you know, apparently there's been uh, testing that's gone on and, you know, all this sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, I, I just don't think that there's enough uh, intel about how this uh, disease operates to, to effectively do this thing. But, hey, I'm not a scientist. And uh, if someone indicates that, that you know it's there's was due diligence done then i guess i shouldn't have a problem with any of that but uh so there's that side of the story for me um part of me is like man is this you know are we too soon on this is uh shouldn't we wait a little bit longer but then <laughs> the fan in me takes over and i'm like man this is exactly what i need i need a live mma event to watch and I need my Saturday night to be what it normally is. Because, I mean, that's pretty much what I do on Saturday nights. Unless I'm, you know, playing a show or at band practice or, you know, doing something like that. I'm usually watching fights. I mean, I'll watch Bellator on Friday. I'll watch the UFC on Saturday. If there's like a kickboxing fight, uh, you know, glory kickboxing, I'll check that out. Um, you know. I'll go, I'll go to, I'll actually go to fights live, like local, you know, kickboxing fights. I'll go to Friday night fights in New York city, you know, especially if I know that, uh, there's guys from my, uh, my team that are, that are on the, on the card, I'll be there supporting. So, I mean, I love, I love fights. I love combat sports. I'm a fan, you know, and martial arts in general is a pretty big part of what I do every day. Well, what I, uh, right, right now, obviously I'm not training, but, um, it's a big part of my life. So, uh, you know, I, I, there's a certain relief. There's like a couple of markers. There's like, okay, well, now Saturday night is a semblance of what a typical Saturday night would be for me. And that gives me comfort. You know, it is, we'll, we'll see. I mean, I saw, the, I saw the card they had in Brazil. And that was um, the first one where they, they did, uh, no, they had no crowd. And it definitely was weird. And I imagine if you're being, a, if you're a commentator or a fighter or a corner man, it must seem even more bizarre than it does watching it on television. So that's that's the other thing. Um, I gotta say, I am excited about it. It is a big card. It would, it's uh, you know Tony Ferguson, who was supposed to have fought uh, Habib Nurmagomedov, and that's. You know, that, that's the fight that they've been trying to make for years and it just seems to be cursed. I mean, the last time they were scheduled to fight 
Ferguson, uh, you know, it was the week of the fight. They were doing press. Ferguson tripped over some cable and injured his knee, and he was out of the fight, and Ally Quinta stepped up, and that's the controversial uh, championship fight. And um, controversial only because, you know, I mean, Al is a great fighter, but he wasn't a contender for the title at that point. So what does it really prove that, you know, Habib defeated him? And, um, you know, no no disrespect to Al Quinto. I'm actually a huge fan of his. And, um, you know, McGregor uh, had been stripped, I think, at that point um, of the uh, – of the belt so so this was uh to, to crown habib the king of that lightweight division uh so yeah that that f- now they were scheduled to fight and then if, what happens you know global pandemic <laughs> someday i still hope that we'll get a chance to see tony ferguson and habib Nurmagomedov fight but it's not going to be anytime soon so that's, that's an interesting fight, Ferguson versus Justin Gaethje. I'm a fan. I'm a huge fan of Justin Gaethje. I'm a huge fan of Tony Ferguson. I think that that fight is going to be amazing. Uh, I, I can't even pick who's, who I think might win. I think the margin on that fight is so slim. It's like Gaethje's probably one of the hardest uh, hitters in that um, division. And Tony Ferguson is just, he's only lost at two fights in his entire career. So, who knows? It's going to be good. We got uh, Henry Cejudo versus Dominic Cruz. And, um, you know, that, that's... <laughs> I, I like Henry Cejudo as a fighter. I just I don't like his uh, World Wrestling Federation style of, uh, you know, the, the heel persona that he's playing. I generally don't like that kind of stuff outside of... Uh, you know, I think that belongs in the WWE. Um, and he's also not very good at it. He's not very good at being the uh, persona that he's trying to portray. And uh, Dominic Cruz, I love him as a fighter, too. Um, I like him even more as a commentator. I think that his next move in life is going to become one of these, like, uh, commentators. And uh, I look forward, you know, he's great. He's, like, one of the top analysts out there. And uh, he hasn't fought in like, four, I don't know, four years or something like that. He's been injured. So that should be interesting. Once again, it's a weird matchmaking um, exercise because Cejudo is the champ. Dominic Cruz, though a former champ, uh, isn't even ranked. And originally, uh, Cejudo was supposed to fight Jose Aldo, who was coming off a loss. So the whole matchmaking entanglement of this thing is very strange. But... I kind of would like to see Cruz win. I think it'd be interesting to have him come in out of this long layoff and the guy's like 35 and come in and, and uh, win. I think that'd be cool if he had another run as champion. And there's a ton of other great fights. There's uh, Francis Ngannou versus Jarzinho Rosenstreich. And Rosenstreich is a guy that I'm familiar with from his uh, career as a kickboxer in glory. And uh, Francis Ngannou is, of course, Francis Ngannou, like the heavyweight knockout artist destroyer so uh that could be a really good fight it could end in like one round or maybe not we'll see we got jeremy stevens versus calvin cater it's gonna be a good one uh this is another weird thing i think on the uh, main card we got greg hardy 
versus uh, Jorgen DeCastro. And Greg Hardy used to be a football player and um, has had quite a bit of uh, problems in his personal life. And uh, I think it's weird that he's on the main card. And he's, I think this is his fourth fight in the UFC. And he's always been on the main card. He's never been on the prelims. And uh, I just think that's a slap in the face to guys out there who actually have been working their, you know, working their asses off to try to rise up through the sport. But the prelims and the early prelims are actually pretty, uh, pretty sick too. In the early prelims, the whole cards kicked off with smiling Sam Alvey, who I always, I always enjoy him, uh, and versus Ryan Spann, and uh, just gonna cherry pick a couple fights uh vincente luque versus nico price that's also on the early prelims and then the prelims uriah hall and jacare souza that's going to be a fun fight uh anthony pettis versus cowboy cerrone two guys that desperately need to win you know i don't i don't think they're either one of them are going to get cut but both of those guys need need a win they're both coming off losses uh cowboy i think Damn, he he got he got knocked out by McGregor, uh, and I think that his previous two fights were also knockout losses too. So he's in a. I think it's uh, verging on negligence for him to be fighting again at this stage right now, after coming off two two knockout you know three and knockout losses in a row. Uh, but hey, man. You got to hand it to him. He's got the heart of a lion, man. But uh, I don't know if this is the smartest thing to do with a career. And then Anthony Pettis, former champ, uh, has also had a bit of a um, you know a, a down streak in his uh, career. So they both are coming off losses, and they both need to win. So that should also be a really good fight, hopefully. I always enjoy watching both of those guys fight. And um, I like Pettis. You know, he's got a taekwondo background and you know i don't know I'm, I'm a big fan of all the flashy kicks and all that kind of stuff and cowboy is just cowboy he's you know he's the man you gotta love him so that's my saturday night man i'm looking forward to it uh life continues to be strange and i go through these like the other day i i woke up and uh, in the morning and i was uh convinced that this whole thing was like some kind of new world order population reduction conspiracy and uh you know kind of the, the days sometimes start off in these like weird mindsets and uh i don't know just trying to hang in there you know trying to trying to keep keep everything together uh you know and maintain and uh hopefully that we can get through this thing and um get back to having normal, well, who knows what normal is going to be, but having a more fulfilling life than being stuck at home. So once again, everyone take care, stay healthy, stay safe, and, uh, you know, keep it together. And I'll talk to you guys soon. Next episode, uh, Jeff Caxide will be joining us and we'll be talking about uh, some of the movies we've seen. Have a good night, everyone. <laughs>